Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Nehemiah, and they, I didn't fully catch the assignment, so I have to apologize. I stayed in chapter seven, and I've been told at least nine times this morning that I was supposed to go to chapter eight, but I still believe that the Lord led me here. So just let's go there together uh, because there's so much in this, and if you know me, you know it's really hard for me to go uh, beyond when there's even just one verse that jumps out and won't let me go uh, past it. So I'm excited. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and get ready. We're going to be bouncing around a lot to other scriptures too. So just be ready for that. And uh, it'll be on the screen if you can't, if you can't keep up with that pace, but I'm really excited to dig into the word together today. Nehemiah chapter seven is going to Uh, bring us under this subject of belonging. And as I've been studying about belonging this week, and I was reminded over a decade ago outside, if you've seen it, when you come in the the front doors, which are not really the front doors, you know, because we got that awkward thing, like all the parking's back here. So you come, most of you come in here, but if you come in these doors, which is the West Lobby, the front doors, you see the big wall over here that says, you belong. And it was over a decade ago when Pastor Brandon Bridge Farmer, affectionately known as BB, I can't find him, but he's here somewhere, uh, it told, it, he, he said, what about this phrase, you know, you belong? And we, we, we kind of liked that, like that was catchy. And I was thinking about how that phrase has stuck and it hasn't gotten old. And the reality is, for you, if you're like me, the sense or the need to belong is strong in all of us. And since then, we've expanded, and now we have three Bs instead of just one. And uh, I like it because BB came up with the first B, and now we have three Bs for our strategy. You know? Okay. Uh, yeah belong, become, build, right? You've heard us talk about this. You belong to the family of God, become a mature disciple of Christ, and build the kingdom of God. Pastor Brandon talked about all the people that are across the country, actually out of the country, across the world right now, building the kingdom of God. But we also know that we can build the kingdom of God right here under our feet in this community. And that's what we believe. If, if you come to Chestnut Mountain Church and you're a part of it and you're a part of our strategy, which is those three B's, you're gonna find full life in Christ as you go into that. And I love it. And I love that it begins with belonging because we do certainly have this great sense and need to belong. When we look at Nehemiah, as we've studied it for the past several weeks, 
just to kind of bring you up to speed, if you haven't been with us, the walls have been built. The walls have been completed. And, and Nehemiah has led this heroic effort amidst great force from the enemy. And they've built this wall. And, but the work is not finished yet. The gates have been restored. They, they're at this moment where it's, it's, it's done, you know, but the work's not finished yet. Because the work was not to build the walls. The work was to protect God's people and to build a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And now the work really begins because it was always about the people. God sees, knows, and loves his people. And we see that clearer than ever in Nehemiah chapter seven. And you may be saying, Jared, we've already been in Nehemiah seven. And pastor Greg told us that the list only mattered to God and the people's moms. And I'm going to come from a little bit different angle today on that one, because I believe that the list that we're seeing here is ever so important. And I know pastor Greg, you do too, but we have 66 verses of scripture here in Nehemiah chapter seven, where God is listing the genealogy of his people, those who belong to him. Have you ever caught yourself brushing past or skimming through genealogies? Like when you come to them in the Bible, it's like, whoa, yeah, let's get to the other stuff. You know, that's a lot of stuff. Let's get to the other stuff. I have certainly if I'm transparent, but I have to remember that there's always purpose for every God breathed word. There's always purpose. Every word that he breathed on this page is for a purpose. There's, there's goodness, there's riches. We, we need to sit in it and listen to him. And as we look into this genealogy, it may seem like a list and a bunch of numbers to us, but I want to encourage you today as we sit in it for just a moment, we can see the heart of God and the heart of the Father when we look at how he lists and knows, how he sees and loves his people. Second Timothy 2.19, this verse has been rattling around in my brain all week, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows. Is it good news for you today that the Lord knows those who are his? This rings loudly and clearly when you read these 66 some odd verses where, where the Lord is, is showing his people and putting them on display. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows them intimately, personally, completely, and he doesn't miss a single one. Even to our chagrin, we're reading the list and we're like, move on. No, God said, these are mine. And this is the type of people. This is, this is, the type of belonging that's possible for you and me. This is the type of belonging, the most trustworthy seal that the Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. In Luke's gospel, we see this 
pretty crazy story where Jesus appointed 72 disciples to go out ahead of him into the towns where he was going to visit. And he sent them there uh, to, to start making a way for, for when he would come. And, and they were doing these miraculous deeds and works, and they were seeing miracles happen. Two by two, he sent them into these towns. And they came back to him and they were excited about all the, the miracles that they were witnessing. And we see in Luke 10, verse 17, that the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Verse 18, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's a pretty big deal. Jesus said, I've given you this authority. You've, you've seen these miraculous things. Demons are subject to you. I've given you this authority. But look at, look at verse 20. Don't miss this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are are written in heaven. This is about belonging. Hmm. Don't rejoice in the miracles. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. In other words, nothing is more important than this. Nothing is more important than your name being written in heaven. Nothing is more important than belonging to the family of God. Even the world understands that we have been hardwired to belong. I was reading some socio-psychology this week. I was brushing up on my psychological studies, and it's almost universal that researchers see and believe and now can prove that the need for belonging is, is universal and fundamental for our human motivation and healthy condition. John Bowlby, one of the first to conduct a research study on belonging, he actually examined children who had been separated from their parents during World War II. And, and what he found was humans are driven to form lasting and meaningful interpersonal relationships, and the inability to meet this need results in loneliness and mental distress. Like the, the, the research is overwhelming that what happens when you are lonely and you can't fulfill this need to belong. What happens in your mind, quite literally, is you, you use the capacity that you have mentally to fight off the threats or to preserve. You use whatever mental capacity you have, not, not to spend it on higher cognitive thinking, not, not, to, not to do good things with your capacity, but to protect yourself and to defend and so what happens to us quite literally when we're in isolation and we aren't belonging, we can't belong, is we're slowly losing our capacity for higher ability and processing and learning. My question today for all of us is where do you belong? Where do you belong? I was fascinated to learn that this genealogy in Nehemiah 7 is actually a carbon copy of Ezra chapter 2. It's the very same thing. 
Like you can read it there in Ezra 2 and read it in Nehemiah 7 and you can see it's the same thing, which begs the question, like, why, God, did you do that again? In the very next book, you know, Nehemiah is a sequel to Ezra. Comes right after it. He did, he put the same thing in there again. Like I'm already having trouble reading all 66 verses. And you put it in there again. We're not receiving new information here, but we are seeing deeper into the heart of the Father. He's emphasizing. He's bringing it back to our mind. He's proving. He's showing. He's putting on display that he knows those who are his. It's almost like God is saying to the world, you may find these insignificant. You may find uh, you may not have a place for them. You may find that it's not even worth your time to read these names, but I'm here to tell you that I know them and they are mine. God was not merely counting people. He is showing us that these people counted and he does it many times throughout scripture. Genesis chapter 49, we see the 12 tribes of Israel listed. Second Samuel 23, we see a list of David's mighty men. For, for crying out loud, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles is just a list of names and numbers. Nine chapters. Genealogies. Romans 16. Hebrews 11. We see God listing his people. Can I tell you? What struck me this week, what I skim over, God has carefully recorded. What we quickly forget, he cherishes intimately. He put it in there for a purpose. He remembers their names, but not only that, he knows them completely. The Lord knows those who are his. Nehemiah 7 is another great example and reminder of that for us. As we come near to the end of the chapter, this is, this is really our main text in Nehemiah 7 verse 61 and 64. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. I, I, I want to warn you, this is a very scary part of scripture. And when we come to it, a lot of times we miss it because we've already stopped reading at the top of the list. I got to be honest if I'm being honest. Nehemiah 7 verse 61. The following were those who came up from Telmela, from Telharsha, from Cherub, from Aden, and from Immer. But they could not prove their father's houses, nor their descendant, or their descent, excuse me, whether they belonged to Israel. These people came from these places that are listed there that I totally botched the pronunciation of, and they could not prove their father's houses, nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. They didn't know who they were. And they hoped and they tried and they came with their case and they came to try to find their name on the list, but they weren't on it. They couldn't prove whether they belonged. And look at what happened in verse 64. This is where it gets scary. 
So they sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. They sought it. They hoped for it. They tried to find their name among those enrolled, but it was not there. So what happened? They were excluded. They were counted as unclean. They were not able to enter the priesthood. The priests who did not have legitimate genealogies, if they weren't born into the line that would allow them to be in, they would be excluded. They couldn't enter. No matter how much they protested, no matter how great their case, no matter how many good things they had done, they were excluded and counted as unclean. This paints a clear picture for us today that there are two sides of the line. I, I, I want to I tell you this in love, that, that you're either in the family or you're not. There, there's not like, I'm almost there. If you're almost there, you're not there. So you're either on this side of the line or you're on that side of the line. You're either forgiven or you're accursed. You're either walking by the spirit or you're walking by the flesh. You're either redeemed or you're unclean. This genealogy that we're looking at in Nehemiah 7, it, it, it is about natural birth. Natural birth, order, descent. But, but now, because of Jesus, I need to remind you quickly and often that because of Jesus, he has made it possible for there to be a new bloodline. And now, we don't follow the same way of being a part of the family. Because of Jesus, he's torn that apart and reestablished a better, newer covenant that where when we trust in him, we're adopted into the family. We can have new birth. So maybe we weren't naturally born in Abraham's line, but we can have new birth and be a child of Abraham because of Jesus. Galatians 3, 23 and 20 through 29 tells us this very clearly from Paul. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Faith. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're going to baptize two people later in these waters. That's why it's here. I know it's nine o'clock and it's just what we're going to do. We got to get some people baptized in the nine o'clock so that Pastor Jason Lester won't be mad at us anymore. But this is symbolic for being buried with Christ and then risen to life to walk with him, putting on Christ. Paul says here, if you're in Christ, you're sons of God. If you've been baptized into him, you have put him on. 
So there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. He's not saying that there's neither male nor female in actuality. He's actually saying that it doesn't matter if you're male or female, you're one in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek in terms of your belonging. That's what he's saying here. Of course, there's males and there's females. Of course, there's Jews and there's Greeks. Of course, I'm from a different place than you're from. But when it comes to our family now, we can be one in Christ. And if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Because the Lord knows those who are his. If you're Christ, you're an heir to the promise. Your name is written in the new genealogy that Jesus established. And this genealogy is in heaven. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name is on it if you're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from his love. To belong is to be in Christ. So how can I know? Right? How can I know that I'm in Christ? We're going to spend the next several minutes looking at three biblical realities of those who belong to Christ. But before we get there, I want to show you what the Apostle John said in 1 John 5, 13 through 15. And then after this, we're about to go rapid fire through some scripture. So just hang with me. Just look at the screen if you have to. First John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. This is the reason I write these things to you, John says. That you may know. How can I know? If you're asking that question, pull up a chair. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. John says, I write these things that you may know. And then immediately he goes into relational Terms. He speaks about God in the same way that he would speak about you relating to your wife. She hears you. How do you know? Well, you have a relationship first. He hears you. We're confident that he hears you. And because of that, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. possible for you to know. It's possible for you to have a relationship that no one can take away from you. It's possible for you to experience belonging like you've never imagined with this perfect God. The first biblical reality of those who belong to Christ that we're going to look at in our time this morning is he will transform you. How do you know that you're belonging to the family of God? Number one, he will transform 
you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. That's transformation. Old is gone, new has come. You've probably heard that scripture before. Let's go a little bit deeper. In Old Testament prophecy, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26, check it out on the screen. I will give you a new heart, the Lord said, and a new spirit I will put within you. New creation. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh that's pliable, that I will nurture and sanctify, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'll put my spirit within you. Why? So that you will obey. So that he, he, the Holy Spirit, will cause you to walk the straight and narrow way. You say, well, I'm still over here sometimes. I'm still struggling with this temptation. And I I want that straight and narrow way. I want to enter the narrow gate, but I'm still struggling with this. I'm still struggling. This is a process. We know the Christian life being sanctified is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. We're not looking for perfection here. Don't hear that. Transformation, the process of being transformed and renewed into his image. It's taking time, but you will see fruit of it. You will see fruit of this new heart, this new spirit, the Holy Spirit in you. And the fruit will look like this. I'm glad you asked. Galatians chapter 5, 22. You know this. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. In other words, there's no cap, you know, like the young guys, the young kids say these days. Nope. Maybe they used to say that. Now they don't say anymore. There's no cap. No cap. Trixie, where'd she go? I, I needed her right there in that moment. At least Tanner was here for me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is this fruit growing from your life? He will transform you and you will bear fruit of the spirit. And he will begin to help you overpower the flesh. Number two. So number one, he will transform you. Number two, he will dwell with you. He will dwell with you. And this is good news. Look at John 14, verse 15 through eight, uh, verse 15 through 17, maybe. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. This is the Holy Spirit that he's talking about to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? For which could be translated because he dwells with you and will be in you. He will dwell with you. He's pleased to dwell in you. 
creator God, sustainer of life, the one who spoke the world into creation, has made it possible for his Holy Spirit to dwell with you. And right here in the middle of John 14, how do you know if you belong? You know him because he dwells with you. Number three. He will transform you. He will dwell with you. And number three, he will know you. Most importantly, he will know you. You may say, well, the whole thing is I'm trying to know that I know him. (laughs) No, more important than that, that he knows you. The Lord knows who are his. I'm studying this genealogy and it's painful. <laughs> As I'm studying the genealogy, God's like, I know mine. I know. Jared, I know you. <sighs> Some days I, I wish he like, didn't know everything. And then I think about that. I think about how I don't want him to know everything. And I think about the fact that he does know everything and he still loves me completely. He will know you. John 10, verse 24 through 30. Let's look at this really quickly here. The Jews were gathering around Jesus and they, they wanted him to just come on out with it. They He said, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Hey, welcome back, Trixie. I needed you a minute ago, but I'm glad you're here. Just we're here. We're in this together. I had to. I love you. And they they said, Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are really who you say you are. Just tell us plainly, just just tell us like it is. And then look at what Jesus said. I told you, I already told you, I did that, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So I told you, and I've been acting according to that, and it's bearing witness about me, and you still do not believe. Why? Because you are not among my sheep, verse 26. Why do you not believe? Because you are not among my sheep. Why do you not believe? Because you don't belong. Why do you not believe? Because you're not mine. Because you have not been given a new heart. Because by faith, there's no faith in you, in me. So you don't have a new heart to be able to see and hear and believe. In verse 27 is probably more familiar for us. My sheep hear my voice. Pause. I used to read that and I used to get scared. I used to get scared because I couldn't hear God's voice. I I wanted like when I was younger, especially I'm, I wanted like these people are talking about hearing God and I don't think I've ever heard him. I want to hear him. It sure would make it a lot easier to believe that I'm supposed to make this step if you just kind of roared out of the clouds the way you used to do. Tell me. 
What does it mean to hear God? And I don't have time to explain to you how I've worked through that. I wish I did. Maybe we'll do it another time. But look at what he says next in this verse. You already did. You already did. It's up there. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. He doesn't say, my sheep hear my voice and they know it clearly. Oh, that's what I was trying to do. That's what I thought the point of the verse was. My sheep hear my voice and I know them is actually what God said. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But the whole point of it is I know my sheep. And when I know my sheep, nothing can separate that. And they follow me because it's good. (laughs) My sheep hear my voice. So instead of getting lost in trying to hear him in the sky, rest in the fact that he knows you because of your faith in him. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them. I give them eternal life, verse 28, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one, nothing, not even no power of hell, no, no height, no depth, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No one will snatch them out of my hand for all eternity. It's a little bit exciting for me. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And I love that he said it again. I and the father are one. So if today you're asking that question, how can I know that I belong? I would ask you a more important question. Does he know you? Matthew chapter seven, the scariest part of scripture, in my opinion. Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone. There will be people that come on that day when judgment is being passed, there will be people that come and say, Lord, Lord. There will be people that acknowledge that he's Lord. There will be people that come to him saying the right thing. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, and on that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. You, I thought I was supposed to come and say, Lord, Lord, like it was the magic words to get into the kingdom. There are no magic words to get into the kingdom. 
I might have just blown something up right there about I prayed a prayer. I repeated that prayer. I might have just blown something up. And I'm just going to pause right here for a second because I thought that was my security. And can I tell you in love, it's deeper than that. It's more relational than that. God didn't design us to just say the right words. He designed us to love him and to step into a relationship with him. So I, I, I'm not tearing down the fact that you prayed a prayer. The prayer might have very well been a gateway into this relationship with him. But I'm just telling you, if it wasn't a gateway into the relationship with him, it's only lip service. It's only a hope. And he's given us more than a hope. He wants to be with us. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to transform you. He doesn't want you slopping around in the pigsty. He wants you to see, just like the prodigal who came home after squandering all of his wealth and losing everything he had and living with the pigs and eating with the pigs. He wants you to see that when you turn around and come home, He's not holding it over your head. His arms are wide open to receive you with love. He wants you to see that he knows you completely and he still loves you fully. We get so caught up in our side of the equation, but our security, our confidence ultimately is in that he knows me that I'm in his hand because then nothing can snatch me out of that hand. If you're spending your whole life trying to climb into that hand, I want to free you up today. It don't work like that. Mm. Only those who belong to God's family can enter heaven. The way that you belong is by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent and believe on his name and you will be adopted into this family and you will be guaranteed an inheritance, eternal life in heaven and an inheritance that starts now. John chapter one, I promise this is the last scripture. I shouldn't promise that. It's a bad promise. I'm sorry, but this is our next scripture. John one, verse 11 and 12. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. children of God. I read a story of a young, a young girl. She was six years old when she was first adopted into a new family. She was orphaned from birth. And then she was adopted into a family at six. That family never really incorporated her into their biological unit. They had daughters of their own and they welcomed her into their home, but they never really fully, you know, she wasn't really theirs. Like, and she knew it. And one of the big ways that she knew it is because every year when they would go to Disney, they actually went twice a year because they loved it. And some of y'all love it that much. I don't know about that. I don't understand that, but y'all do. Okay. So I love you. And every time they would go to Disney world, they would leave her 
with a family friend. They wouldn't take her with them to Disney World. And she thought it was something she was doing, right? Or not doing, like, that they were leaving her out. And eventually this family dissolved the adoption. Uh, Only a couple of years after adopting her, they dissolved it. And she went back into a home, but quickly after another family adopted her in. And that father of the new family found out about this Disney World situation. And so immediately he planned a trip to Disney World. And he came into the dinner table, and this is like the second week that she's been adopted in. And he's, he's proud. He's, we're going to Disney World together. And the whole family's excited, but she's quiet. She doesn't believe, you know, she doesn't believe that it's going to be any different. And so for the next few months leading up to the trip, she starts acting out. She starts throwing tantrums and calling people names and being disrespectful and and especially her oldest sister. She was really digging into her and and saying things to cut her down in ways that she knew it would. And the father one day pulled her aside and put him put her on his lap and to talk to her about what was happening. And before he could tell her, before he could punish her and really talk to her about what was happening, she said, I know what you're about to do. I know what you're going to take away. You don't even have to say it. I already know. I'm not able to go to Disney World. He said, baby girl, are you part of this family? She kind of lowered her head and nodded eventually. He said, are we going to Disney World as a family? She said, he said, then you're going to Disney World. You may have consequences. Actually, you will have consequences for the actions that you've done, but that's not going to change the fact that I made a promise and we're going to go to Disney World. But even after this conversation, the little girl's behavior did not improve. She, she kept acting out. And even on the way there, as they're driving south to Orlando, Florida, she's still throwing tantrums and being mean and finding ways to act out all the way there. And the first day that they got there, it was magical and I'm sure exhausting. Like, I don't get it, but y'all get it. So I love you. And she's real quiet all day. She's not really saying much all day. She's enjoying it, but she's not really saying much. And at the end of the night, when they came into the room and they're doing bedtime and they're getting everybody down and he goes into her room, he's tucking her in and he asked her, he said, how was your first day at Disney World? And this little girl, this eight-year-old girl has her unicorn that she just won, you know, and she's tears coming down her eyes and she's hugging this unicorn and it's taken a while for her to answer him. And and she finally opened her eyes and, and looked up to him and she said, dad, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I am yours. 
it. That, that's it. That's the whole thing. This eight-year-old understood it all in that moment that it wasn't about being good. That it was about being his. It was about belonging. It was about being adopted. That, that she can't earn this adoption. She can't earn this favor. She, you, you're mine. There's no greater realization in all the world than when you understand that the Father in heaven looks down on you and says, I have you. You are mine. And when those words can make it to your heart and then finally come out of your mouth in the form of God, I am yours. Let me tell you something. Nothing in this world Nothing in this world comes close to that. But it has to start with you knowing that he knows you. And when you come face to face with your inability to earn a place on your own, when you come face to face with your understanding of how utterly distant you are apart from Jesus. And in the same moment, you sink into his unstoppable embrace of love and you take a deep breath and you just rest in that reality. I am yours and nothing can ever change that. I got to go in. I got to enter the gates. I, I got to experience the magic. Not because I was good but because I am his. It's a great old hymn that I want to close with. It's written in 1863, a long time ago, by Charity Bancroft. This hymn is called Before the Throne of God Above. And there's one stanza in this song that says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Because God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I just want to, I just want to, I want to encourage you today to spend more time in these last few moments thinking about what he has done, thinking about how he wants to know you rather than how you can make him happy with what you're doing because it doesn't work that way. And if we're honest, we spend far too much time getting this backwards. So my question as we close, does this sinless Savior know you? Can I tell you something? Nothing on his side of the equation is holding him back. He's already finished the work. He's already opened his arms wide. He's ready for you 
to surrender, to submit, to obey, to repent of your sin and believe that what he's done was enough. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.